Welcome to Wallachia. Previously, Eugen the carpenter tried to stab local landlord Negruskuradu. Most of the village witnessed the attack, causing a riot. Eugen has been sentenced to death. On the way home from visiting a sick parishioner, Father Abraham discovered the body of a farmer, Marion, who had been killed by a vampire. He asked the local butcher, Dragos, to assist in the grisly task of making sure that the dead farmer will not rise from his grave. Chapter 15. Death and Burial Customs of the Wallachian Peasant Walking from the rectory toward Town Square, Abraham was thinking about a village he and his uncle had visited years ago. They were tracking a vampire that had terrorized a village near Budapest. It had killed a dozen people, several of whom became vampires, taking their own victims in turn. By the time Abraham and Baron Vordenberg arrived, nearly all the residents had fled to stay with family in other towns. Many of the buildings had been ransacked by thieves. After questioning the few townsfolk who had stayed behind, Abraham and his uncle were able to find several of the new vampires still in the area and destroy them. They then had to find all the villagers who had fled to make sure they themselves weren't undead, and tried to work out where the original vampire had gone. One former resident and his family had traveled to a nearby town to stay with a cousin. Word had gotten out of what had happened to his hometown, and the villagers turned on the cousin. One night, they demanded he send the man outside so they could determine whether he was a vampire. When the cousin refused, they set fire to his house. Everyone inside perished. A week later, a woman in the village took ill and died not long after. The villagers assumed she had been attacked by the vampire and burned her house down as well. When Abraham and the Baron arrived, they found a traumatized population, but no evidence a vampire had ever been there. The people's superstition had done as much damage as the monster might have. They spent another month in the area, but never located the vampire that had visited the first village. In all his travels, Abraham had never been there at the start. He had always been chasing after a vampire, always seeing the results of its evil already at work. Now, in Kumpana, he thought he might have a chance to stop a vampire before it got its hold on a place. So far, to his knowledge, it had taken only one victim, Marion. Today, he would go to make sure the farmer wouldn't become undead. Could he possibly find the vampire and destroy it before it claimed another victim? Could he protect his congregation? Lost in thought, he turned a corner and collided with someone. Angela, who ran the inn, let out a yelp. She dropped the basket she'd been carrying. Abraham apologized and started to kneel to help her pick it up, but it seemed to have been empty aside from a cloth which she'd already retrieved. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. Bunadimniatsa, father, said Angela, wishing him a good morning. I was just taking a meal to the courthouse, for Eugen. Ah, said Abraham. That's kind of you. Did you see him? No, just delivered his breakfast. His last breakfast. Abraham made a grunt in recognition. It's a blessing Domniel Negascrew is going to be okay after how he attacked him. Will you be going today? Going? To the execution. We'll all be there, me and the kids at least, so they can see how justice is done. She had a fervor in her voice that shocked Abraham, though he knew she wasn't alone in the feeling. He'd heard similar sentiments from many in the village. Most of them had been on the castle grounds when Eugen had attacked their landlord. It had scared them. No, no, I have a funeral out of town, he said, and went on his way. He was glad to be leaving town so he could avoid this very issue. If he went, it would look like he was in favor of an execution, which he wasn't. If he refused to go and remain at the rectory, it might look like a slight against the Negruscrew family. The courthouse building had a jail area containing four small cells whose typical use was letting someone sleep through the night if they had too much to drink and started a fight at the Sarda. More than a few times a year, Abraham was called upon to resolve disputes between two of his congregants when a night's sleep wasn't enough to let the issues dissipate. Outside the small corridor containing the cells was a barred gate and a desk for a guard to man when the cells were occupied. The guard opened the gate, picked up a stool that was sitting against the wall, and led Abraham in. Eugen wasn't visible inside any of the cells, but one had an empty food tray sitting on the floor by the bars. 
The guard knelt, picked it up, then stood and said to Abraham, Going out for a pipe. I'll leave the outer gate open. Find me when you're done. Once he had gone, Abraham found Eugen sitting still on the far end of his cot, looking out the small window in the cell at the clouds in the sky. The guard hadn't opened his cell, but with the cot there wouldn't have been room inside for two, regardless. The walls were close enough that a man could easily stretch his arms out and touch both sides. If there had been prisoners in the other cells, Abraham might have asked them to remove the cot so he could have an appropriate amount of privacy with Eugen. He set his back against the opposite wall and sat down on the stool. Eugen didn't want to speak right away. Abraham sat in silence with him for a while, then offered to hear his confession. When they were done, he administered Holy Communion and left. He hoped Eugen could find some peace in the end. The guard was outside in the street talking with a passerby and finishing his pipe when Abraham left. Ah, father, I'll go lock the gate then. He turned and started to go back into the courthouse, then Abraham said, I suppose we'll be taken to Costin's house after? The guard stopped, turned back around, and said, After? Maria Alina, Costin's wife, is, was, his cousin. I assume the body will be taken to their house to lie until the burial. He doesn't have much other family. I'll pay my respects there and see to the arrangements. We aren't taking the body anywhere. Then who's taking it? No one. Orders from Nega's crew himself. Said after it was over to leave him up there. Wants him to serve as an example. Up there, hanging? That's, that's barbaric. Slipped out of Abraham's mouth before he could stop himself. Time for you to be on your way, father. He had told Dragos that he'd meet him at his house before going to the stables. When he arrived, he found the butcher already waiting out front. Their two horses were tied to the fence. I thought I'd go ahead and get them so we could go right away. Thank you, said Abraham. He stowed his pack as Dragos went to kiss his wife goodbye. She gave Abraham a forced smile as her husband came back down the walk. Under his breath, Dragos said, She is not happy about this trip. The sooner I can return, the better. Abraham said, I wish I didn't have to ask you to do this. Dragos put up his hand and said, Do not worry, father. You would not ask me, I know, if it didn't have to be done. You sure you're up for it? He put his hand up again, as if to push the discussion topic out of the air, then put it on the saddle. The sooner we get going. They rode in relative silence. After an hour, they saw a rider pulling a cart heading toward town. He slowed and greeted them. It was Costin the merchant. Costin, how are you? I was just thinking of you earlier, said Abraham. Costin nodded to both of them, then said, Thought I should be there when Eugen... Yes, said Abraham. Costin, there is something rather uncomfortable I should mention. He told them what he'd learned from the guard, that Eugen wouldn't be allowed a burial. Poor kid, said the man. Never had a good thing happen to him, that one. I'd say I'm surprised, but Degas Cruz always had a mean streak. Maria Alina won't take it well. I suppose they'll have to cut him down eventually. He spat on the road, then looked over his shoulder in the direction he'd come. Say, father, do you hear much from Bezoe? It was a town west of Kumpana, across the Old River. Not in particular, why do you ask? I was there to do some trading with an associate, but he didn't make the meeting. No one had seen him, but then, he's not always the most reliable. Only now I have a cart to unload somewhere. He twisted his head, indicating the wagon he was pulling. Going to see if Sinfi can sell any of it to the Romani, now they've let him out of that dungeon. Like father, like son, speaking to that mean streak. If I hear anything, I'll try to let you know. Can't say I know anyone from there. I have a few cousins over that way, said Dragos. Not close to them, though. I have a lot of cousins. They bade Costin farewell and rode on. As they got closer to the farm, Abraham could tell that Dragos was anxious. You're ready for this? he asked again. Dragos grunted. Abraham went over the plan as quickly and directly as he could. It was easy for Abraham to see that the man had prepared himself constitutionally for what they'd need to do. Daniela Carmen was sitting in front of the farmhouse when they arrived. Her youngest, Niku, was playing in the yard. She rose to welcome them and shared the news that, as expected, her father had died since Abraham had seen him. We can say a mass for both of them, then, said Abraham. You know Dragos, of course. 
Dragos embraced her and kissed her cheek. He's come to help me put Marion to rest. Daniela Carmen looked away from him as he said this. Niku, she called. The boy came over, and she instructed him to tend to the horses. Shall we go in and pay our respects to Marion and Petre then? said Abraham. I'll begin with a few words, then a psalm, pour the wine, and then we'll seal the coffin shut. At that point, you and the family can leave, and Dragos and I will handle the rest. When we're finished, we'll do the mass of the resurrection and the burial. Daniela Carmen didn't say anything, but led them into the house. In her father's bedroom, her daughter, Carmen Beatrix, was seated. Petra and Marion were laid in two large wooden boxes, one on the bed, one on the table that had been brought in and placed next to it. Carmen Beatrix stood when they came in, and Abraham and Dragos both kissed her cheeks and expressed their condolences. In the coffins, both men had been dressed in their finest clothes, and each had a para coin in his hand which, according to tradition, would allow them to pay for any tolls or ferries on their journeys to paradise. Without needing to check, Abraham knew that each coffin also contained a needle and thread so that any damage to their clothing could be repaired along the way. Two earthen jars sat against the wall which contained the water the men had been washed with after they died. Abraham placed his pack on the dresser and produced a bottle of wine from it. Peter Octavian, the older son, came in, trailed by Niku. Once they were all assembled, Abraham said a few words and then recited the 50th psalm as he poured the wine over each man's body. When this was done, he, Peter Octavian, and Dragos nailed the lid onto each coffin. Niku, said Abraham. The boy had been standing by the door behind his mother. Come here, please. Daniela Carmen gave him a light push and he came forward to Abraham. I need you to go make a strong fire outside, please. Do you have a good place for that? The boy nodded, beside the barn. Good. Go ahead, then. The hotter the better. To the rest of the family, Abraham said, We need to finish preparing Marion for burial. Carmen Beatrix, bring a wash basin with some water and rags, if you would, and then we will need to be left alone. Father, said Daniela Carmen. Her face was stern. I, we, I'm afraid I can't allow you. My mother told us, Carmen Beatrix and me, what you want to do, said Peter Octavian, and we'd be happier if you just allowed us to bury my father as he is. The neighbor's father. None of them would come, said Daniela Carmen. They'd already heard about how you'd said he died. We've known them forever, our entire lives. We're godparents to several of them. None of them would come. Her voice broke as she said this. Carmen Beatrix took her hand. We don't know, do we? asked Peter Octavian. You said he was attacked by, by a, but we don't know that. It might not have been, right? He looked to Abraham for reassurance. There was, however, little doubt in Abraham's mind. He'd seen enough vampire bites to know what they looked like. The question was, what would happen if he and Dragos merely left? What were the chances that Marion would rise again, undead? Abraham was aware of others who had studied vampires. His uncle's library contained treatises written by John Christopher Herrenberg, Dom Calmet, and many more who had explored reported sightings. Baron Vordenberg's journals chronicled his own encounters. Abraham doubted that there were many collections of research on Nosferatu anywhere in the world that rivaled what his uncle had assembled. Yet there was a great deal they didn't know. Even the very basic question of precisely how one became a vampire was unsolved. Some victims rose from their graves, some didn't. Superstition held that suicides could become vampires, but had never been verified. Would Marion rise a revenant or remain in his coffin? It simply wasn't knowable. Again, my friends, I ask you to step outside. Dragos and I will be as fast as we can be, and then we will say a mass and be on our way. Peter Octavian, young though he was, puffed up his chest. His face was red. We can't allow it, father, he said through gritted teeth. You can't defile his body. He stepped up to Abraham and breathed heavily. Abraham was tall, but the young man was filled with youthful aggression. He took a step back from Peter Octavian and removed his glasses. He rubbed his eyes, replaced the glasses, and took a breath. I was trying to spare you from this. You don't know. You haven't seen it. The horror of having a monster wearing the face of someone you know. If I bury your father today, it is entirely possible that he will come knocking on your window some night soon. It's a reality that has repeated itself throughout this country and beyond over the ages. He'll trick you, 
or if not you, little Niku. One of you will invite him in, hoping it all had been a mistake, or just happy to have him back with you again. But it won't be your father. Defile his body? It's already been defiled. We're here to purify it. No, I'm sorry. Dragos and I will do our work so that your father can rest. His words hung in the air. Carmen Beatrix's eyes were wide. The flush left Peter Octavian's cheeks slowly. Abraham nodded to Dragos, who stepped to the door. He extended his hand, inviting them to leave. Daniela Carmen left first. Peter Octavian exhaled sharply, then followed his mother. As Carmen Beatrix started for the door, Abraham said, The wash basin, please, in several rags. She seemed to want to say something, then nodded and left, returning after a few minutes. Once she had gone, Abraham gave himself a moment to breathe. He looked at Dragos, who said, The way you spoke to them about vampires. This isn't the first you've come across, is it? Abraham looked him in the eyes for a moment, then shook his head. Dragos broke the eye contact and opened the bag of tools he'd brought. Abraham produced a small box of untreated wood. He moved to the far side of Marion's coffin and started to pry it open, then stopped. You're ready for this? Are you? This is not going to be clean work, father. He nodded. Together they reopened the coffin. Dragos asked, Why did we nail the lid down if we were going to have to open it again? My hope was that following tradition would give the family comfort, that we'd nail the coffin shut and they'd be able to pretend that that was the end of it. Sadly, not. Once they'd removed the nails, they lifted the lid off and set it against the wall. Dragos looked in at Miriam. The head, first, said Abraham. After the work was done, they replaced the coffin's lid and hammered the nails back in. The heart they put in Abraham's box. They washed up, and then Abraham said a short blessing over Dragos' tools. When that was done, they left the house and found Niku outside. We'll just be a few minutes, Niku, said Abraham. Tell Peter Octavian we'll need him shortly to help bear the coffins. As instructed, the boy had indeed built a hot fire. Abraham called after departing Niku and asked him to fetch a set of tongs. He brought some, then ran off again. They set the wooden box in its center, then watched as the flames caught it. They sat together to make sure that the fire would consume the organ. It's harder here, said Abraham, watching the fire. Dragos remained, staring at the flames. It's harder when you know them. Not that I know this family well, but still. Years ago, the other vampires you surmised I'd seen. Those were strangers. I could keep the grief and fear of their victims' friends and families at a distance, then move on. These people, Mary and his family, live a fraction of a day's ride away. There was a small cemetery near the woods behind the house. Someone, Peter Octavian, Abraham Guest, had already dug graves for Marion and Petre. They held to tradition the best they could. Normally, as both deceased were married men, they would only be born by other married men. Since Dragos couldn't do that himself, Abraham and Peter Octavian shared the lobe. Nico put on a brave face and did his best to help. Together, they carried the coffins one by one to the gravesite. Carmen Beatrix brought the jars of water and set them down. Abraham said mass in the open air. They slid the coffins into the graves and then smashed the water jars over them before shoveling the dirt on. It was compulsory for Daniela Carmen to invite them inside for a feast. Abraham knew she would rather they leave immediately, but the custom could not be denied and they would need to eat before getting back on the road anyway. Once their meal was served, Daniela Carmen said, Father, I want to apologize. I just can't believe that Marion might. Please, Daniela Carmen, that is past. He is with God now. You have nothing to fear. As they had this morning, they rode most of the way home quietly. Abraham used the time to put his thoughts together. When they were half an hour from town, Abraham said, I can find someone else, if you'd like, if there's a next time. Will there be? asked Dragos. Should I say that I hope not? Of course I do. But I've never known the Nosferatu to take a single life and then stop there. So we say our prayers and wait for it? There's nothing else we can do? I'm thinking about that. It hadn't just been villagers who'd burn houses down. 
On more than one occasion, when Abraham and his uncle had followed a vampire to a house, and they had known the family to be elsewhere, or dead, an expedient solution had been to put it to flame. The vampire would either perish inside or be driven out where they could defeat it. But those were strangers' houses, and he'd been a younger man then. He didn't personally know the family whose ancestors had built the house. He didn't have to stay and help them rebuild it. This was his home, and if there was going to be loss, he was going to live it with them. How much could be avoided? Rumors were already running around the village. People knew that Marley had encountered a vampire near Red Tower Pass, and they knew what had killed Marion. They'd be scared, but hopefully he could turn that fear into preparedness. A few things would be easy. He'd recommend that they gather garlic flowers, wild roses, and juniper, plants thought to repel the undead, and keep them in their homes near the doors and windows. Every room in the home should have a cross hanging in it. That would make it harder, but not impossible, for a vampire to enter. Every serious illness would need to be investigated. Families would have to watch out for members of their households who sleepwalked and scrutinize anyone who went missing for more than a short time. Visitors to town were to be considered suspicious, even if they were well-known. Here, the gossipy nature of his neighbors would be useful. It was already impossible for anyone to arrive without the entire village knowing their business almost immediately. Abraham worried this could devolve into xenophobia, but it was prudent to consider anyone a potential servant of the undead. These measures should help, but from experience he knew vampires to be clever, insidious. The villagers would need to be observant. A brother visiting from the next town over could have been turned. A husband returning from a trip could now be a monster. Vampires had to be invited in before they could enter a home, yes, but how could he get people to refuse entry to their own loved ones? Would that be an overreaction or a necessary measure? He needed a way to find Marley's vampire woman, to track her down to her hiding place and send her back to her grave. He needed partners. He knew of a few others in Europe who studied the occult. He'd write to them and ask their advice. He hoped it would be enough. And if not, maybe Marley, Loreline, and her friends would have some fresh ideas. Eugen's Last Words Villagers had started to assemble at the base of the hill below Castello Argus mid-morning. At about the same time Abraham and Dragos were riding up to Marion's farm, the residents of Kumpana were gathering and gossiping as if they were waiting for the start of an Oina game rather than an execution. All at once, shortly before noon, the crowd's murmur died down, and every head turned to watch Judas Mihail and his men lead a wagon carrying Eugen the carpenter down the road. The guards took Eugen by the arms and led him to the makeshift dais under the giant oak tree. Every eye then moved to the coach they now saw making its way down the mountain toward them. It stopped, and Eon stepped down from his seat on the perch next to the driver and opened the door. Negroscrew Nikolai climbed out of the coach. He wore a blood-red blouse with a dark cravat. He turned and extended a hand, which was taken by his mother, who emerged wearing a dress of matching red. Once they were out of the carriage, Nicolay nodded to the Judish, who made a few official remarks which no one would remember a few minutes later. Before the guards put a rope around the neck of Eugen, he was given the opportunity to address the crowd and the family of the man he'd attacked. Those words, Eugen's last, were what everyone remembered. Thank you for listening. I know it's been a while since our last chapter, but things should hopefully be back on track now. I shipped a big update to the app in the fall. If you haven't checked it out, just search for Wallachia on the App Store. In addition to this book, it now also includes several classic vampire novels, and each Friday I publish a new chapter of An Old Penny Dreadful in the app. This week we started 1845's Varney the Vampire, The Feast of Blood. What were Eugen's last words? I have quite a few ideas, but I need some help here. It's something prophetic, something he's just remembered that the spectral illusion showed to him. My question for you is simply, was it something that's going to happen soon, a long time from now, or something in the middle? 
If you'd like to vote, you can get the Wallachia app from the App Store, turn to the end of Chapter 15, and click on the poll button at the top. Voting will be open for two weeks until the 22nd of January. Next time, Chapter 16, Marley, Loreline, and the gang attend Abraham's Vampires 101 class.